Amen. As we start this new year, I want to invite us back uh, into the book of Exodus in our series, uh, Free at Last. I want you to turn your Bibles to Exodus 19, and I'm going to read in your hearing verses 1 through 15. Listen to the word of the Lord. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and to the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came, called the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today, and tomorrow let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. And so Moses went down from the mountain to the people, consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. It may seem a strange way to end the, the, the verse, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you thanks. And we pray now that as all of us sit under the authority of your word, we pray that you would do that work in us by the power of your spirit through your word. We pray, Lord God, that you would conform us into the image of your son and our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, in the song, Grace That Is Greater Than All Our Sin, verse 3 says, Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. All who are longing to see His face, will you this moment His grace receive? That verse holds together two truths that are in front of us uh, this morning uh, in this story the first is that our relationship with God rests on the initiation of His saving grace. In the story, Israel is reminded in verse 2, in the names, house of Jacob and people of Israel, that their relationship with the Lord 
did not actually begin here at Mount Sinai. While, while Israel was entering into a new phase in her relationship with God, she had already been made a people through God's gracious initiative in the choosing of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And this grace of God given to Jacob was on the heels of his faithfulness to Isaac, which was on the heels of his faithfulness to Abraham, the father of our faith. So in God's initial address to the people of Israel at Sinai, he's already reminding them in their name alone of the history of their relationship to him, which began with his gracious choosing of their forefathers. And then uh, later on, uh, he tells them uh, again in verse Verse 4, that you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You are here because of my initiative, because of my grace, because of my salvation. You have been brought to this point in your journey, in your story, because, because of my grace. Our relationship with God, brothers and sisters, starts here starts with God's grace in choosing us to be his very own. In his commentary, T. Desmond Alexander, he quotes uh, C.J. H. Wright, who says this. He says, the initiative of God's redeeming grace is the prior reality on which all that follows will be founded, including the giving of the law, the making of the covenant, building the tabernacle, and moving forward to the promised land. The life they now live, they live by the grace of God. The life they will be required to live must flow from that same starting point. Of course, there is an ethical imperative in these verses to obey God's voice and to keep God's covenant, but it is, it is expressed as a condition, not of gaining God's redemption, for that has already happened, but of fulfilling the mission, their identity lays on them. Identity and obedience flow from grace. Identity and obedience flow from grace. So having, made, having been made God's people at the initiation of His grace, the Israelites are now invited into the mission that this identity lays on them, to use Wright's words. They're being invited now to live out the calling that their treasured status has placed upon them. God has chosen them out of all the peoples of the earth to serve Him among those very peoples as a display of what a people in covenant with God look like. Note in verse 5 that God informs Israel that all the earth is His, meaning not just His geography, but all of its people belong to Him. All the peoples of the earth are His, and He has chosen Israel out of those people that He might dwell among them, showing the rest of the people of the earth who also belong to Him because they are His creation, showing them through Israel who He is and the glory and blessing of being a part of His people that those outside might also be drawn in. And so at Mount Sinai, Israel is, is being invited. They're being invited to serve Yahweh in this way. They had, they, though they had been forced by Pharaoh's oppression to serve him, God will not force them to serve him. Indeed, the fact that they are even here is a reminder to them that God had kept a promise He had made to them in verse 12 of chapter 3. If you'll go back there and remember what God said there in uh, Exodus 3 verse 12, He says, He said, but I will be with you 
And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God has kept his promise. He has delivered the people of Israel from Egypt. He has carried them on eagles' wings through the desert, and now he has brought them to the very mountain that he promised he would bring them to. So, Pharaoh had forced them to serve But God was now inviting them to serve on the basis of his grace exemplified in the fulfillment of this promise to them. And this brings me to that second truth that I said earlier was held together in the song with the truth of God's grace as the initiation of our relationship with him. The second truth is that this calling, this mission that God has given us together as his people that he gave to Israel all those centuries ago, this mission must be received by faith. Israel must believe God if she is to fulfill her end of the covenant arrangement. Israel must believe that God is who he says he is and that she is who he says she is if she is to walk in the obedience that her her identity and the calling that flows from it lays upon her. If Israel is going to be God's nation in the midst of the nations, she must receive by faith the grace of God's covenant that she is about to enter into. And why should this matter to us sitting in this room today? It should matter, brothers and sisters, because what God called Israel to, what God called Israel to, He has now laid upon us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The failures of God's people of old did not lead God to revoke his promises. Rather, God sent his son who succeeded where we failed in his obedience to God, canceled the debt of our sin through his death on the cross, and then poured out his spirit into us that we might be the expression in this world of what those at Mount Sinai were being called into. This is why Peter can say of the church that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so, as we look back on this story, we are looking back on what is now our identity and our mission as the church of Christ in this world. And so, I want to ask this morning and have us reflect for just a few moments on this question, what then does this faith in our identity and mission as God's people in covenant with Him, what does it look like? Well, first and foremost, God's people, it looks like loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. Listen again to verses uh, 3 to 6. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you, are, that you shall speak to the people of Israel." At Mount Sinai, 
Israel is going to enter into a covenant with the Lord. And we refer to this covenant as, as the Mosaic Covenant. And, and while the present text is more uh, of an introduction, introduction or summary of the more formal covenant structure that will be given starting in chapter 20, we have here still some important truths of God's covenant relationship with His people. Now, a covenant in its most basic definition, it's an agreement between two parties in which each party binds themselves to perform certain duties. In most cases, with the added agreement of benefit when the covenant is kept and penalty when it is not. And without getting into all the details of how it works in the biblical narrative, all of the covenants that God makes with His people are initiated by God. All of the covenants that God makes with His people are initiated by God. And as I said earlier, by virtue of His grace alone. They are initiated by His grace, sustained by His grace, and ultimately the promises that God makes in them are fulfilled on the basis of His grace. And so in the preamble of this covenant summary, God reminds Israel of His grace toward them in delivering them from Egypt. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. God set them free. He carried them to this point through danger, through war through lack. This is what it means that they were carried on eagle's wings. He was the one who saved them and brought them to this point in their relationship with Him. Yet, the experience, the experience of that gracious relationship and its missional component would require something of Israel. It would require loyalty to the voice of God. Notice the emphasis on on God's voice in these verses. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, if you will indeed obey my voice, these are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. God's words are what Moses is to speak to the people, and Israel's faith in covenant with the Lord is to be demonstrated in their commitment to obey the voice of their Lord. Why, why is this obedience to God's voice alone so important to Israel's mission in relationship with God? It's important because other voices are going to call out to Israel for relationship, seeking to divert her from the mission that God gives to her, from obedience to God, to the fulfillment of her own desires and her own pleasures. Israel is going to be God's treasured possession in the midst of the nations, nations who do not know God and are not on mission for God. Thus, if Israel is going to keep God's covenant to be to him a kingdom of priests worshiping and drawing others into the worship of God, if they're going to be a holy nation setting themselves apart for God and living by virtue of God's commands and not the world's, then obedience to God's voice must be front and center of their lives. And this loyalty, this same loyalty, the same loyalty calls us in the new covenant, and it's couched in the words of love that Jesus teaches us, is the heart of that covenant. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him 
and manifest myself to him. I want to say to you this morning, brothers and sisters, that faith in God, faith in God's covenant is expressed in loyal love, a love that listens to the voice of the one who has bound himself in relationship to us now and forever through Jesus Christ, a love that when we fail draws us back through repentance and faith to renew loyalty to our God and to our King. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Where in your life right now is God calling you to loyalty to His covenant? Better yet, ask the question this way. Where are you not doing what the Master says? Where are you not doing what your Master says? I trust the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of God's people, and perhaps there are places in your life right now where He's prompting you toward loyalty in particular areas of your life. Most of you know better than anyone in this room where those areas are. For others, it may need to be called out. So maybe it's in how you relate. Uh, to material things. Later on in this story, after the giving of the law, the people of God are going to be found worshiping a golden, a golden calf, bowing down to a thing, a material thing that they made with their own hands. And so perhaps for you this morning, that call to loyalty to God is how you relate to material things. You're finding that maybe you are greedier than you imagined. Or perhaps it's in relationship to how you treat others around you. That, that same incident where they're worshiping the golden calf, they're going to lead each other into the worship of this false thing. So perhaps it's in relationship with, with those around you, you're finding that you're more impatient, more mean-spirited than you thought you were with those around you. Or maybe it's in how you're relating to your God. You're finding that you're more doubting, more cynical toward the Lord and His Word than you ever thought you would be. To all of us who know Him, the Lord speaks into all of our lives, calling us toward the loyalty He has called and empowered us to by His Spirit. And so my encouragement to you this morning It's the same encouragement given to Israel at Mount Sinai to listen to the voice of your Lord and not the voice of your own heart and not the voice of the evil one and not the voices of the world around you as they call you away from the things of God, but to listen to the voice of your Lord because in listening to His voice is your healing and your peace and your comfort and and your joy. So faith in God's covenant, which is demonstrated in loyalty to His voice, it leads right into the next identifiable mark of of our faith uh, in the mission of God on us in that covenant, and that is holiness. So loyalty, holiness. Listen to what uh, God says again in verses 9 through 13. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow, let them wash their garments, 
and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up to the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. This, this had to be an incredible experience to be a part of. Israel had, Israel had seen God's acts on her behalf in overcoming Egypt through the plagues, which had been an inc- incredible experience in its own right, right? And then she had seen God's acts of provision in the wilderness, the, the victory over Amalek, the, uh, the manna from heaven, the water from a, from a rock. But, but now, she was about, now, now she was about to meet with the very God who had done these incredible things for her. No, Israel would not see God as God, uh, for, for He is spirit, and to see Him uh, as He truly is would, uh, would be, as He told Moses later, it would lead to, it would lead to death. But he would, take, he, he would make His presence felt by descending on the mountain through the thick cloud and through allowing the people to hear Him as He spoke with Moses. Yet, before any of this happens, Moses is instructed to do something, to consecrate the people and to give instructions to the people to prepare for this meeting with the Lord. And to consecrate means to to make holy. I'll come back to that in a minute. They are to wash their garments. They are to abstain from uh, sexual relationships with their spouses, which is the meaning of the later part of verse 15 that I read earlier about not going near a woman. And in between those two commands is the command about approaching the mountain itself. And at first reading, it may sound like, 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 like the purpose of the boundaries is to keep people away from the Lord. Indeed, the death sentence for not touching the mountain may strike us as severe, and it is. God does, does want to impress upon His people the solemnness of the occasion and the seriousness involved in meeting the Lord of heaven and earth. God isn't the dude down the street. He's God. He's the Lord. He is, he is the king of all the earth. But, but I want to encourage you to consider also that these boundaries are not meant as a means of keeping people away from the Lord, but as a means through which God invites them to approach Him. I, I have come down on the mountain to meet with you, and I am setting up these boundaries because I want you to draw near to me as I draw near to you. Listen again to the end of verse 13. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. God's purpose through the consecration by Moses and their consecrating of themselves, the washing of their garments, abstaining from sexual relations, was to make it possible for the people to draw near to him so that they could hear him as he spoke the words of his covenant to Moses. What I believe God wants us to understand here is that holiness is about relationship. I'll say that again. Holiness is about relationship. The laws, the commands that God is about to lay out for His people in the covenant are about training them in what makes for right relationship, right relationship with Him first and foremost because He is their God and their King, and then what makes for right relationships within the community. That's what the Ten Commandments are going to be about, how you are to respond to your God and your King, and how you are to treat your brothers and sisters whom you are in community with. God calls us to holiness because He wants to draw near to us. 
and us to him. And in case you think that this call to holiness is diminished in some way in the new covenant, think again. (laughs) For the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Holiness is about, it's about relationship. It's about relationship with the Lord who has called you, who has bought you with the blood of his own, his own dear son. And God is signaling that for the people as he calls them to consecrate themselves. He is preparing them to live in the world in light of this experience of relationship that they are about to enter into with their God through the covenant. What changes in the new covenant is not, what changes in the new covenant is that now through Jesus, we have the Holy One dwelling in us, empowering us toward that holiness that the Lord calls us to and encouraging us toward repentance and faith when we fail to walk in it and crying out for us to the Father with groanings, as I said earlier, that are too deep for us to utter. Our God longs to draw near to us and us to Him. And so he calls us to a life of holiness on the basis of that relationship. And so I said holiness is about relationship, and relationship requires something of us. Requires something of us. Requires time with our Lord. Our transformation, our transformation is bound up in seeing Jesus for who he is, in beholding his glory. The Apostle Paul, in, in a text comparing uh, the glory of the Mosaic Covenant to that of the New Covenant uh, in Jesus, he says this, all we with unveiled face beholding of the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So how does this transformation occur, occur apart from seeing who Jesus is? And how can that happen apart from time with the Lord through the means that He provides for us. I was thinking about this as I was preparing this, how many occasions were built into the, the very covenant, uh, the very law of God, how, 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 many, how many occasions were built into that for the people to be in the presence of the Lord. You know the regular Sabbath of coming before the Lord in worship, but there were also festivals built into the life of Israel in which they were to come together as a community to be in the presence of the Lord because God actually delights in relationship with us. And through that communion with our God, we are transformed into who God is calling us to be. Amen, people of God. God wanted to meet with his people, wanted to be in their presence that they might capture something of his glory and be encouraged in their calling as his people to live in light of that glory. 
We have a better administration because we have the Spirit of God living in us who is transforming us into the image of Christ. So here's my real encouragement to you. Don't neglect the opportunities given to you to experience the Lord, to experience communion with the Lord, to experience being in his presence, to experience beholding him in his glory. Because as you see him for who he is, the spirit is at work in you to transform you into that, into that same image. Amen, people of God. Whether through the study of his word, Sunday morning worship, prayer, mission, don't miss out opportunity to be in the presence of God, be in the presence of the Lord. All of these are ways in which we draw near to God, and of course through the sacraments. They are the places where he shows us who he is and who he is calling on us to be. Amen, people of God. Loyalty, holiness, faith in God's covenants, demonstrated in loyalty, is demonstrated in holiness. But it's also demonstrated through representation. Representation. What do I mean? You go back to verse 9. You go back to verse 9. This is what we read. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. All of the covenants that God made with his people were mediated through representatives, men to whom and through whom God's promises came to the whole community. And each of the Old Testament covenants, the, the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, those chosen belonged to the people to whom the promises were made. They were representatives from among the people. And so to believe, uh, to believe Moses, uh, as noted in verse 9, would be for the people to trust in what God was doing through him and what God was speaking through him on their behalf. And the reason why it was important for the Lord to establish this principle with his people in this covenant as in the others is that God's salvation promises were not going to end with Moses. God, God's salvation promises were not going to end with Moses any more than they had in those covenants before him or the one that would follow with David. Moses himself understood this when he told the, that, told the people that God would raise up a prophet from among them and that they were to listen to him. You see, what God was doing through Moses was of crucial importance along the journey of God's redemption in this world, the salvation that God had won for Israel over Pharaoh, the establishment of their identity as his special people to carry his name into the world, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. They were all important features of what God was building, was doing in building his kingdom in the world. Yet, yet Moses knew something greater was in store. <laughs> That, that on down the road of peace, something greater would arise. Someone that all of those who long for God's salvation and kingdom would need to put their trust in. No wonder then when the writer of Hebrews declares to us, therefore, holy brothers, in chapter 3, verse 1, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. 
For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more as a builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting and our hope. So as you look back at this story, as you hear the call for the people in Moses' day to trust what God was doing through their representative soul, we do so as those who now know that our chief representative has appeared, bringing with him not only the promise of salvation from life temporal pharaohs, but from the power that made those pharaohs what they were, that makes us what we are in our brokenness. Jesus has broken the power of sin and death, and through him, the calling of God to be his people and the power of God to obey his will and to keep his word is now ours. Thus, the call is, as the writer of Hebrews lays it out, hold fast to your confidence and your boasting in the hope of who Jesus is and what he has done as a representative of the new covenant. Amen, people of God. I said that believing in Moses and the story meant believing in God, what God was doing and speaking through him. God's purpose in doing what he did, the way that he did it, is so that the people would believe forever in what he was doing and speaking through Moses. If we are in Christ, we have every reason to be confident and every reason to boast in the hope of all the blessings of God's salvation that are now ours in Him. And so the call then is to keep trusting that what God has spoken and what He has done through Jesus, to keep believing that all the promises made by God to us in Christ will come to pass. We are His house. We are his people. We are his flock. Don't let the evil one, this world, even your own heart, deceive you into believing anything other than that God will be faithful to all that he has spoken and done in Christ. And I know that I have to say that to you because some of you in this morning, some of you this morning, I know the doubts creep in. When you look at your own life or you look at the world around you, can I go even further? For some of you, the cynicism seeks in. When you look at your own sin, when you look at the sin of the world around you. But remember this, all of God's promises in Jesus are yes and amen. That means that everything God has promised us in Jesus Christ will come to pass. And so the question for you is who are you going to believe? Your own heart? The world around you, the evil one, or are you going to believe the one who gave his blood to establish the new covenant, who as your representative laid down his life that all of the blessings of God might be yours?
don't let go, the writer of Hebrews says, of your confidence in that representative because he is the son of God, our Lord. God is faithful. And so I want to invite you this morning to keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher. Again, the writer of Hebrews says, of our faith, and you will be strengthened to keep running the race of faith that is set before all who hope in him. Amen, people of God. So let me end with the question I posed earlier. What then does this faith in our identity and mission as God's people and covenant with him, what does it look like? Brothers and sisters, that faith looks like loyalty to the voice of God over all the other voices of this world. It looks like holiness in which we reflect to the world that we belong to God by manifesting the character of our God and our actions. And it looks like trust in our representative, the one through whom God has mediated the ultimate blessing of our salvation. (laughs) Jesus is that greater Moses, the one whom Moses himself pointed to. So let's rest in what he has done for us that we may be what God has called us to be in this world. Amen, people of God. Let's pray. God, we give you praise this morning. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you thanks. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. As we look back at these stories, Lord, as we see what you did in the initiation and establishing of your covenant with your people through Moses, Lord, as we look back on that now as people who have our faith in Jesus Christ, we see the ways in which you were training your people, training us, Lord, in that loyalty you call us to, the holiness that you call us to, the faith that you call us to, and your power to save and set free. Father, I pray for your people this morning. I pray, Lord God, that they would believe, that they would believe in the salvation you have won for them, and that they may put their hope and their trust in you through faith in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, all their days of their life. I pray this in Jesus' name.